all God's people said, amen. You guys can have a seat. Thank you, Kyle and band, for leading us in worship tonight. Uh, A couple of things before we begin, I want to make you aware of. Don't forget, Scotland is coming up rather soon, March 13th to the 20th. We had a meeting last week. I did not give you applications for mission trips. So if you are interested in going to Scotland with us, please be sure tonight to pick up a application from me before you leave uh, this evening. A second opportunity for you to serve is this Saturday. James will be taking a group over to Boys and Girls Country. I think he needs, uh, where is he? Oh, sorry, you need three guys, four girls? Yeah, three guys, four girls. They like to keep it about one-on-one in terms of ratio. So if you're able to go this Saturday, the afternoon from... Three to five there. Are you going to meet here? Is that what you told me? At two. If you want to meet here at two, you'll go over and we'll spend from three to five at Boys and Girls Country and then be back after that. So if you want to go love on some kids who need to know the love of Christ, um, that will be an opportunity for you to do that this week. All right. We're going to continue our study tonight uh, in the life of Peter. Before we do that, though, let's just go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to come over us and speak to us tonight. Uh, Give us understanding. So uh, just close your eyes wherever you are and just pray to the Lord to remove distractions from your mind tonight. Just commit yourself to focus entirely upon the truth of God's word. If you just pray that the Holy Spirit would open your eyes, your mind and your heart to the truth of his word tonight. Pray that you would be open to receiving any conviction the Holy Spirit might bring to mind about things that you need to change. Also commit to allow your heart to rejoice And the truth of God's word tonight. Seeing it as our hope. Pray for me that I be faithful to present God's word. In a manner that is worthy of him. Father, we just give this time to you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be mighty among us tonight. That you would overwhelm us as we continue in worship. Speaking truth into our hearts. Shaping us and molding us into the image of Jesus. As always, Father, may you increase and I decrease, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, we're going to continue our study in the life of Peter and his writings. Tonight I'm going to show you a kind of duality that represents Peter and I think many of us uh, in our Christian walks. First of all, know this. Peter was a man of great faith. He was a man of great faith. Certainly over the past couple of weeks, you have seen that. 
Jesus calls him from a boat and says, Peter, come and follow me. And without hesitation, Peter drops his nets, leaves his life behind and begins to follow this man whom he doesn't completely understand, but knows that there's something special about him and the anointing that God has placed upon his life. What a great step of faith to hear the gall of God and simply respond in Faith. Not only that, later on in the Gospels, one instance, Matthew 14, 22 to 33, you see Peter exhibit a superior faith to even the other apostles. When Jesus encounters them in a boat in the middle of a storm, walking on water. Imagine for a moment seeing a man walk on water. Never happened before. Kind of a unique event. A man walking on water in the midst of a storm, no less. And how does Peter respond to seeing Jesus walk on water? He does what any of us would do, I have no doubt. He steps out and walks with Jesus on the water. What an incredible testimony of faith that Peter would step out of the boat, trusting that if Jesus could walk on water, he could empower him to do the same thing. Peter was a zealous man of faith. Whenever the centurions approached Jesus to arrest him in an act of divine worship, he defends the Lord by cutting off one of the centurion's ears because he wanted to protect Jesus. And he trusted that if he protected Jesus, that Jesus would protect him from the centurions. A man of faith. And you can see countless examples throughout the stories of Peter of him exhibiting faith time and time and time again. Inasmuch as Peter was a faithful man, he was also, however, a man who failed the object of his faith. He was a faithful man, zealous in faith. But there are more than one occasions in the scripture where we see Peter also failing the object of his faith, namely Jesus Christ. And the same story that we see Peter walking on water with Jesus, we also see him sinking in fear because he sees the storm and reckons the storm more powerful than the man walking on water. Because of that, he sinks. And Jesus says, oh, you of little faith. On one moment, you have a man exhibiting more faith than any other man had ever exhibited and stepping out to walk on water with Jesus. And the next moment, because of fear overcoming him, he sinks. Faithful, yes, but also failing. You see, later on in the Gospels, Peter defending Jesus against a soldier, yes, but also seconds later, and the scripture denying him three times and twice to little girls. Little girls caused Peter to deny Jesus. Not very masculine on a scale of masculinity to be intimidated by little servant girls. Here's what we see ultimately. Peter both expressed the faith that formed the foundation of the church. Remember, Jesus says to him, 
Peter, upon this confession that you say, I am the, the Christ, the son of the living God, upon that confession, I will build my church. That confession that Jesus, is the son of God, the Christ, the Messiah, is the confession that he will build his church upon. And Peter was the first to say it. That same man who forms the foundation of the church also exhibits a denial that constitutes so many of the church's failings. So on one hand, you have a man whose faith exhibits the very best the church has to offer. And in the same sense, you have a man whose failings characterize so many of its shortcomings. The reality is that many of us live the same divided life. One minute, we're taking on the gates of hell with water pistols. And the next, we're denying the presence of Christ in our lives in order to save face to a coworker or a girl we're trying to impress. Someone who probably has little to do with our eternal security at all. Do you remember when you were younger and you were passionate about something that you didn't realize was embarrassing until someone pointed it out to you? Remember those days? All of us have these moments where we just love something and we want to go brag about it to our friends and our friends tell us, hey, this really isn't as impressive as you think it is. Any people have those moments? Obviously, I have a lot of them in my childhood being in love with Reba. Um, you know, there are plenty of days I wore Reba shirts to class after seeing her in concert and the men around me would say, why are you wearing a shirt with Reba's face on it? One time I remember, um, not being the guy who was the object of ridicule, ridicule, although I was plenty in my time. Uh, when we were in college, this is a little bit later in life. I had a roommate name was Michael and Michael was obsessed with Michael Jackson. Now, granted, all of us in here have a respect for Michael Jackson. He changed pop music. Great, uh, you know, forward-thinking musicians. So there's a respect level. But Michael's fascination with Michael Jackson kind of went to a different level. In fact, one time, my friend Aaron and I, who was our other roommate, came home. And we discovered Michael watching a video of the, the music video for Billie Jean over and over again while practicing the dance moves. So this guy's like 21, okay? And he's literally in our living room watching the Billie Jean music video over and over again with the, you know, hat with like the glitter and stuff on it. I mean, it looks like he bedazzled it, which in and of itself is something to be embarrassed about, right? So it looks like he's got a bedazzled hat and he's just moving out there. And so, you know, we laugh at him. You know, we he thinks it's kind of funny, but in his heart, like he's taking this really seriously. What we didn't know is that we had a, a kind of a coffee shop talent show coming up. And Michael was practicing to perform this at the talent variety show. If we had known that, we'd have stepped, stepped in rather sooner than we did. Um, so he's practicing, practicing. And then we come to the night where we're doing all the stuff. And we find out that he's performing this Billie Jean number in front of the whole Baptist Collegiate Ministry at LSU and other people because it was an outreach event. 
And so he gets up there and he starts going at it. You know, you know, the whole number. I mean, he's got the, the inappropriate pelvic lunges, the whole thing going on. And he's either taking it seriously, but people around him are laughing because everybody thinks it's a joke. But in his heart, he's really seriously trying to pay homage to Michael Jackson. All of us have been there. Something that we're so passionate about that turns out to be embarrassing. And you have a decision to make, don't you? When I was younger, I had a decision to make sporting my Reba McIntyre t-shirts. Am I going to buckle and go to the bathroom and turn this t-shirt inside out? So I'm embarrassed about Reba being on my shirt. Is Michael going to give up his somewhat inappropriate worship of Michael Jackson whenever he doesn't have any game with the girls anymore because of his weird obsession? Is he going to give this up? When our passions are confronted with animosity, we have a decision to make. Will we stand on them firmly or will we reject them and run in order to be accepted by the people around us? And this decision point we face very often in the Christian life on a greater level. Because even Michael Jackson and Reba, you can laugh about and get away with it, but it has nothing to do with eternity. In these moments where our Christianity is confronted, we have to be even stronger knowing that the other people's denial of what we are passionate about has consequences. And so you and I make these kind of decisions all the time. We act just like Peter. On one hand, we'll be super passionate about Jesus and we'll come in here and we'll proclaim how his love never fails us, it never gives up, it never lets go of us and we'll lead a Bible study and we'll teach and we'll serve and we'll go to boys and girls country. And then in a moment of weakness outside, when we're talking about Jesus and someone confronts us about him, we will fall flat on our face. Just like Peter did. All of us have this within us. These moments of great faith and passion and flair and then moments of failure as well. Here's what we see in the life of Peter. Part of Peter's journey to becoming a cornerstone of the early church was learning to be single-minded. Single-minded. Regardless of embarrassment, regardless of risk, he had to learn to stand firm with conviction on the truth of who Jesus Christ was and is. And you and I must do the same. Because we are the church today. We are the foundation of the church. We are the ones making the confession that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. He is the Christ. And as a result, you and I have to commit to placing all of our affection and all of our devotion in his hands. This is not an easy place to get to. Because we live in a world that pulls at our affections, that wants us to fail, that doesn't want us to stand firmly on our faith. And as a result, the Lord allows Satan and other attackers to come against us to reveal places in our hearts and minds that are not underneath his lordship. 
This is a big statement. The Lord allows Satan and other attackers to come against us to reveal places in our hearts and minds that are not underneath his lordship. Now, we're going to see this in a minute. The goal here is not to defeat you. The goal here is to not overwhelm you, but it is to reveal to you places that are not under the control of the Lord. We see this in Peter's story in Luke chapter 22. You can turn there with me if you'd like. I always encourage you to see it in your own Bible. Of course, always, as always, be reading from the ESV. Extra spiritual version of the Bible. Oldie but a goodie. All right. Beginning in verse 31. Simon, Simon. Now, a little terms of context. Remember last week we talked about how the disciples had come to the point where they began to argue over who was the greatest. Remember? They went from fishermen to famous. And that pride birthed within them began to make them also begin to compete amongst themselves about who was the greatest disciple, who was the greatest apostle, so that they could have even greater amounts of Christ's favor upon their life. And look how Jesus responds to this argument here. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times. Jesus allowed Satan to come against his disciples. I say his disciples here because in that first verse that we read, the you there is plural. So even though he's addressing Peter, he's speaking to all of them. And he allowed Satan to come against his disciples to prove their faith and strengthen them. He says, Satan demanded you. I'm going to let it happen, but I'm also going to intercede on your behalf. That this will strengthen you to be even greater apostles and disciples. Now, why would Jesus do this? Why would Christ allow the enemy and other forces opposed to us? Remember, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. Why would Christ allow this to happen in our life? Well, simply, the building of the kingdom of God and his church... It's too important to be left to someone who is untrustworthy. The plan that God is unfolding, the restoring of all things that were created, the building of his kingdom, meaning that we are establishing Christ as the Lord of all things once again, and he will come to bring that to fruition in his second coming. The church is the mechanism by which we are restoring all things to uh, be underneath the lordship of Christ. And that means that we are leading people to right relationship with him through a movement of the Holy Spirit by proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're calling people who are in defeat, people who are in depression, people who are oppressed, people who are impoverished or sick, any type of failing that is the result of the fall of man. We are leading them all to the feet of Jesus Christ to give them hope and the gospel. 
And that, my friends, is a very important thing that we are doing because this world needs to know that there is hope. As I said last week, in the midst of vast darkness, we have been given light. And that light is the life of men. There are people all around us who are dead. You and I were dead. Until someone spoke to us the gospel of Jesus Christ and he breathed life into us. That miraculous event is what we are to continue in all things as the church. It's God's foreordained plan that he made plain and the person and work of Jesus. And now we have the responsibility to continue that. He's just not going to let anyone represent him in that. Because the sad reality is that if we, if we prove to be untrustworthy, and we fail, and we don't come back, it could be that we do more damage than good. So God allows his servants to be tested in order to prove their faithfulness. This is not just in the life of Peter, remember. We see this throughout the Bible. We see it in the story of Job. If you've been reading in our daily Bible plan here at the church, you just read this in the book of Job. Job loses everything. And again, he didn't have anything impure in him. He was good. And Satan said, of course he's good. He's got everything. He's going to worship you. And God said, take everything away and see. And Job says, at the end of this sifting, what my ears have heard, now my eyes have seen. He allowed this time of sifting and testing all of this darkness in his life to be a motivation to see God in new and different ways. God says he's my help and my shelter in times of trouble. Well, now I've seen it. I heard about it, but now I've seen it. He's my provision. I've heard about it, but now I've seen it. I'll be a more faithful witness now because I've experienced the fullness of God. See this in the life of Paul. Time and time again. Paul's got a thorn in his flesh, he writes about. He says the Lord put it there to keep him humble. And when he cried out to say, God, I cannot take this anymore. What is the response that he gets from the Lord? My grace is sufficient for you. Puts him in pain. In order to show him his grace is sufficient. Even Jesus himself in the desert, tempted by the enemy, For 40 days. What is the Lord ultimately trying to root out of us? He's ultimately trying to root out a love of ourselves. Over a love for him. Self-protection. Self-reliance putting my needs above the needs of the kingdom and others. Listen to this tweet by David Platt. How many of you thought that would be a statement you'd hear in a sermon 20 years ago? Beware of self-protection. 
for it tempts us to question God's presence and manipulate God's promises. Let that sit with you for a minute. Beware of self-protection, for it tempts us to question God's presence and manipulate God's promises. I want to show you this fleshed out in Scripture, in the temptation of Jesus and Matthew 4. If you want to turn there with me, it'll be on the screen. If not, listen to this encounter between Jesus and Satan. Then the devil, this is in the temptation, in the middle of his temptation. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. What do we see here? Well, Jesus, like Peter and like us, had to answer some difficult questions. Is the Lord really with me? And can I use his promises to empower me and not him? So the enemy was trying to get Jesus and his humanity to deny the power of God's plan and deity over his humanity. He was saying in the same way that he chose Adam and Eve, you could be like God. And he owes you. He's made you this promise. He owes you. He said, if you do this, my angels will come down and do this for you. So claim that promise in a way that makes you great, not in a way that makes God great. And that's what self-protection and the love of self does. We manipulate the promises of God to elevate ourselves, not elevate God. So God promises me that if I seek him, I shall have whatever I ask. Awesome. I want this job. So God, I'm going to seek you for this job. I'm going to expect that you give me this job as a result. What you've done there is you've manipulated a promise of God to benefit you and not the kingdom. The whole point there is that if you seek the Lord, your desires will change. And he will give you what you desire. Because it's what he desires for you. So in this sifting process, you and I have to come to realization that if we're going to give our lives to the kingdom of God, if we're going to give our lives to the gospel, then we've got to stop thinking of ourselves first. Because in that moment, when you feel embarrassed about the message of Christ, or, not in America, but other places, you might lose your life for the message of Christ. If you love yourself more than you love God, you will deny Christ in order to save yourself. And ultimately, all you've done is sacrifice yourself. Because only in confessing Christ can you find yourself and save yourself. And denying him, you've lost what Jesus offers you. But here's the beautiful part. 
Even in failing, Peter came to the right answers because of his strong faith. Remember what Jesus says in verse 32 to Peter whenever he speaks over him the fact that he will deny him. This is a really cool um, thought to me. Because I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. You're going to deny me. You're going to fail. But I've prayed that your faith won't fail. Even if your actions fail, I pray your heart and your true faith will not fail. And when, not if, when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Do you hear that? He's saying, listen, you're going to fail. But I'm praying that your faith will allow you to be picked back up again and then use that faith to strengthen your brothers. You're going to fall flat on your face. There's a purpose to it. I'm going to teach you something through it and then allow you to teach others around you. This is the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, my friends, don't ever, 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 ever miss out on the fact that you and I all, every one of us in here, including me, are failures. F. You got an F on your paper for life. Oh, Jared, I never made an F. Guess what? You did. And you got to get a permission slip from your mom and bring it back to God and say, listen, I recognize I got an F. I'm sorry. You got an F. Every one of us in here are failures. And that's the point that we could not succeed without Christ interfering in our life and giving us any success that we could find in the spiritual life. Jesus did it for us. Listen, the gospel and the the putting forth of the kingdom of God is not contingent upon you always being great or right or perfect. It is about you maintaining your faith even when you fail and giving him glory that he has restored you, redeemed you, and picked you up. Jesus knew Peter would fail, but he also knew that his faith would not falter. His faith was stronger than his failure. Because, hear this, his faith was from God. His failure was not. Remember, when you fall flat on your face... You can't undo the faith that God has given you if you are a child of God. He gave it to you. It is by grace through faith that you have been saved. And this is a gift from God, not of yourself, thank God, so that no man can boast. That's the whole point. We're going to fall flat on our face, but then we pick back up and we say, listen, guys, I'm broken. I'm terrible. I haven't done this right, but I'm repentant. And I'm coming back to God saying, listen, I messed this up, but I know you can make something of this. Failure for the Christian does not have to mean defeat. Hear me when I say this. I don't think we get this a lot today. I think a lot of people in the church, because we've made it more about appearance than reality, think that if they are consistently failing, they are defeated. And this mindset does not understand the heart of the gospel. The heart of the gospel is that only by grace, only by the act of Christ to begin with, do we have any hope. And even after we are saved, our ability to walk in Christ is also the effect of God's grace to us. We're going to fall flat on our face. Now, as a side note, that does not give us the excuse to sin. 
We can't just go have sex with a girl and say, you know what, well, I'm sorry, I was just going to fail anyway, so I'll just come back and ask for forgiveness afterward. No, that's not what we do. The reality is that we should not use it as an excuse, but we will fail. And the, the encouragement here is that when we do fail, if we understand the gospel, we won't run from God. We will rather run to him with our face before him saying, God, I'm so broken. I need you now more than ever. Allow your grace to conform me even greater now into the image of Christ. As a result of me knowing that this part of me is not under your Lord's I see this temptation. I see that I failed. And I recognize now that this part of me, this pride was not submitted to your lordship. And now I give it back to you. Please let your grace come over me and conform me into the image of Christ. Failure for the Christian does not have to mean defeat. Rather, failure can be seen as God's grace to us. To know him more. And encourage our brothers as we return. Many, many people in here have done stupid stuff. Anybody in here with me? Men done stupid stuff? Yes, all of us have. You know why we've done stupid stuff? To impart to others who have done the same stupid stuff that we still have hope in Christ after you do the stupid stuff. Isn't that true? Everybody in here, somebody, and now again, you've got to be delivered from this. You've got you to experience the grace of God in your life. But when you've experienced the grace of God, he's delivered you from an addiction. Drugs, alcohol, pornography, sex. He's delivered you from a sickness. He's delivered you from self-esteem issues. He's delivered you from legalism. You go to someone else who says the same thing. You said, listen, I know what you're struggling with. I've been there. I'm telling you, there's hope. There's hope. Jesus Christ gives you hope. You feel like a failure? We are. We are. But praise be to God that God's plan isn't isn't determined based on our success or failure. It's entirely dependent upon Jesus's success and sufficiency. And he succeeded. And now you and I are able to succeed because of what he did. And ultimately, listen, guys, how you respond to failure in the Christian life is a testimony to how grounded you are in your faith. When a little girl comes up to you and says, hey, aren't you the one who was with Jesus? And you curse her out and say, there's no way I was with Jesus? Chances are your faith isn't really grounded. But if you lose a loved one, and you can look and say, God, I don't understand it. I'm going to press into you because I know that your grace is sufficient. I can learn more about you in this dark time. That, my friends, is a mature understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't know why this relationship ended. But I know I can learn more from you in this hurt. I'm not going to run from you. I'm going to run to you. Your grace is sufficient for me. I don't know why this friend abandoned me. 
I'm going to run to you, not from you. Your grace is sufficient for me. I don't know why my life doesn't look like I planned it to look. I'm confused. I'm lonely. I've got no purpose in my life, but I know you're going to speak to me. I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to go after you hard. So I know your grace is sufficient for me. Some questions for you. Have you trusted solely in God's provision for you? Or like Peter in the beginning of his ministry, we'll see later that God transforms him radically. In the beginning of his ministry, are you like him in that he was more concerned about himself than upholding the truth of the gospel? Because he wasn't solely satisfied by God's provision. He still wanted the affirmation of other men. He still loved his life more than the gospel. And when he thought affirming Jesus would cost him his life, he denied him. Even though Jesus said, you've got to lose your life to find it in me. He heard Jesus say that, and still he did the opposite. Some of us do that same thing over and over again. because we haven't trusted solely in God's provision for you. Listen, if you're walking in that, attention, be on guard. You could be coming under attack. in order to reveal to you places in your life that you haven't yet submitted to the Lordship of Jesus. And then, ask this question of yourself. Is His grace sufficient for you? It's a, it's a question of where your foundation is. Remember the Bible school story? about the wise man and the other man. What is it? The fool? Foolish man. I was going to say the unwise, the dumb guy. Remember the wise man? Remember the wise man built his house upon the... Right. And the other one built his house upon the sand. The rock guy, the waves, rains came down, the floods came up, right? The rains came down, floods came up. What happened to his house and the rock? It stood firm, Right. Notice this, same rains, same floods came on both foundations, right? So just because you're in Jesus doesn't mean you're not going to get rains and floods. Hear me, okay? Over here, what happened to this guy on the sand? Splat. That's what happened to his house. Why? Because the foundation, it's a foundation issue. Here's what you got to remember. In your life, any life, it's on this planet. Rains will come, floods will rise. All of us in here will have dark times. And the question of whether or not you can sustain them and turn to God is all a matter of your foundation. If it is in Christ, if it rests in the grace that Christ gives you, then you'll be able to look at those rains and floods from a different perspective because you'll know where you are rooted it doesn't matter what comes against you, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Is his grace sufficient to you, for you? When bad things happen to you, I'm not talking about like terrible things, like tragedy. I'm talking like people cutting you off in traffic. Do you yell out in anger? It's a testimony. 
to where you're rooted. When your boss doesn't give you a promotion, how do you react? Do you huff and puff, try to blow his house down? (laughs) Or do you say, God, I don't understand it, but my grace is sufficient for you. And I have a responsibility in this office to exhibit the characteristics of Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to take it. I'm going to give you the glory and honor for it. It's a question of foundation. And then finally tonight, have you trusted solely in the provision of God? Is his grace sufficient for you? How can you use your past failures to strengthen your brothers? So many of us haven't even told people about the deepest, darkest things we struggle with. That's fear and legalism, not the gospel. Here's what the gospel says. Whatever it is you struggle with, whatever it is that's come against you, confess it, find redemption, and then use that struggle to go help other people come out of their struggles. If you want understanding of grace, that everything you've experienced done is on the table, whenever God needs to use it, whenever, to be able to draw people unto himself. You got molested, guess what? I got molested. And God redeemed me. He restored me. He put me back together again. There's hope on the other side of molestation. You had sex before marriage? Me too. You had an abortion? I had an abortion. But God put me back together again. He restored me. There is hope on the other side of abortion. That's the kind of stuff that we got to put out on the table. And if you and I don't understand the grace of God and that all of us have faith and failures in our life, but ultimately it's a question of Christ's success, not our own, then there are people who will stay out in the darkness. There are people who will never come forward with the things that they struggle with, and the enemy will cause them to be crippled in their faith. And all the while, you and I could have gone to them and say, listen, tell me what's wrong. And they throw it up and you say, listen, as you wipe it off. I understand where you are. I've been where you have been. I'm telling you, there is hope. All of you in here know someone who is not here tonight, who is struggling with what you have struggled with, and they need to hear from you that there is hope. Have you allowed God to use your failures to strengthen your brothers? That's what Peter does. We'll see this later on in his epistles. All of this stuff we talked about tonight, he would never have preached what he preached in Acts. He would never have wrote what he wrote in First and Second Peter if not for this moment. And he uses all of his failures in the midst of persecution and oppression. And he says, listen, guys, I've been there. Jesus' grace is sufficient. He calms storms. I walked on water with the dude. Yeah, I sank, but he picked me back up. And you and I are called to do the same. But if his grace isn't sufficient, if we don't trust completely in his provision, we'll never come to a point where we'll give that stuff to him, let him restore us, and then be able to use it for the good of the kingdom of God. So as the band comes back up,
I want you to close your eyes for a second. And I want you to picture the person that you thought of when I asked that question a minute ago, who's struggling where you have struggled. And if you don't have anybody, I pray you would begin praying right now for God to bring someone into your life. And my question for you is, why haven't you shared the hope that you have in Jesus with them? Would you be where you are tonight if not for someone sharing that with you? I want you to pray that God would give you the confidence, faith, step out of the boat. Maybe walk on water a little bit. This is new for you. It's big. But share the hope that you have with that person. And I pray in the coming weeks, we would see those very people in this room. These brown chairs wouldn't be brown chairs anymore. They would be faces of people that you have allowed the Lord to draw to himself as a result of your faithfulness. To take your failures, let your faith overcome them, and then use them for the glory of God, the building of his kingdom and his church. You'll only be able to do that, though, if you see that his grace is sufficient for you. May we not be a people who put on false masks, cover up our failures, but in the cracks of who we are, we allow the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ to shine forth through us. Brightly and boldly, we will not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We'll proclaim it boldly, knowing it is the hope of the nations. Father, I pray that you would work in and among us tonight. Father, I pray there would be souls saved as a result of our time together tonight. God, I pray that you would bring to mind people who need to know the hope that I have individually because of what you did in my life. I pray you would bring people to their doorsteps who struggle with what they struggled with. And God, you would do a beautiful work of redemption and restoration and allow them to use their failures and faith to draw other people to you. And Father, as we close out tonight, may we stand and worship this God who uses broken vessels for his glory and our good. We pray in the mighty name of Jesus.